today. You know, when we first started this series a number of weeks ago, I said, you know, one of my goals and desires for this series is that as a community of people, whether you're checking out God for the first time or you've been with us for a long time, that there might be this sense in which we are open to the Spirit, there's an experience of freedom in the Spirit, and there's a liveness in the Spirit. But the question I want to ask you today is how do we do that? How do we actually posture ourselves so that there is a sense of freedom and aliveness and openness to God's Spirit in our own lives and also within our community? Well, a number of years ago, when Bron and I were studying over in Portland, Oregon, for our theological degrees to become pastors, to become ministers of churches, um, we had one particular class, and um, the class was uh, titled Gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm not meaning Christmas gifts in that, but when someone experiences God's Spirit in their life, he actually empowers them or equips them in ways that are unique to him and are unique to the person to actually build up and encourage other people. And that was our course. And the professor that we had for that particular class was a man by the name of Gary Friesen. And some of you who might be more long in the tooth listening this morning uh, might know that he wrote a book called Decision Making and the Will of God. So we had him for our class. And this is the challenge he gave us in this class about the person of the Holy Spirit. He said, what I'd like you to do is whatever tradition, whatever experiences you've had of God in the past, what I'd like you to do is go along and attend a church, attend a setting that's outside your comfort zone. Um, that's perhaps a little bit different to the experience that you've had in the past. He says, what I want you to do when, when you go to that particular place, when you go to that church, what I want you to do is actually not critique it. Because so often when we go into those spaces, we're critiquing it, we're evaluating it. And he says, you miss the whole experience. So what I want you to do is go to a different setting, immerse yourself in it, and just go with it. So with that in mind, there was a group of us of students who decided to actually be on the lookout for a different experience, um, a, a different church setting. And someone came across, uh, there was an itinerant speaker that was coming through Portland, and downtown he was running these particular uh, church services uh, that we thought we should go along to. So we, we went along one night, and uh, we went along there with, with the right posture, with the right spirit, just being open without critiquing. And uh, it was very much outside of our experience. So when we started there, it wasn't had nothing to do with the, the, the singing, the hand raising, the clapping, the, that kind of thing. But what it was is when they began to actually do the, the ministry side or the, the praying for people side, um, it, it was a little bit uh, outside of our comfort zones. And the, and the person, when they started, we noticed that people would come forward. Uh, there were some people who would be swaying. There were people who would fall backwards. They'd be caught. They'd be lying on the ground. And for those of you who might be a little a bit more uh, familiar with, with some of the, the, the experiences there. There was handkerchiefs that got pulled out and they were being utilized to, to pass on healing to different people and it just got a little bit weird and wonderful. So I'm standing there and they're inviting people to come forward who would like to receive prayer for healing. And a few days beforehand, I had uh, developed a sore throat and I started to develop a head cold. Now, I wanted to immerse myself because I, I had the professor in the back of my head uh, saying what you should and shouldn't do. And so I turned to Bron and I said, now, Bron, I, I think I'd like to go forward for prayer. I know it's not a big thing. It's just a, a, a head cold. But I am open to God and I'm open to experiencing more of him and the more of spirit's activity in my life. So I think I'm going to go forward. She goes, okay. So I went forward and I stood in the line as they were making their way along praying for people and they got to me and I noticed everyone before me had sort of fallen over, wobbled a bit and fallen over and I was there and I was open and I was posturing myself to experience more of God and His Spirit. Well, 
after a few minutes of praying for me, and I kind of did a, a little bit of wobbling, but I was kind of pretty much firmly planted on the ground with my feet, and the, the person who was praying for me probably wasn't getting the, the response they were after, so their, their hands were getting a little bit closer and closer to my chest, until in the end, there was this little prompting, nudge, kind of pushing little action, and uh, I thought to myself, you know what? I haven't experienced this overwhelming sense of God's spirit or healing, um, but I might just go with it. In fact, just before that, they'd asked me, you know, what would you like us to pray for? And I said, well, you know, um, I've had this sore throat and I've had this head cold. It was kind of like the most lamest prayer, um, but I was just open to experiencing more of God. And uh, so they were praying for me for my, my head cold. It wasn't any big stuff. It was just a normal, common head cold. Anyway, so after I experienced that sort of prompting nudge, um, I thought to myself, well, who knows? Maybe I'll encounter God on the way down. So I just sort of kind of rotated backwards a little bit. And lo and behold, I was caught on the way down. And they laid me on the ground. And, and there I was in a really relaxed kind of posture, lying on the ground, still saying, God, if there's anything you want to impart to me, if there's any experience of the experience, of the spirit, I'm open for it. And, and here I am. Well, unbeknownst to me, Bron and the people that they came with were, were looking over going, oh my goodness, what's happened to Troy? What's happened to Troy? Like, uh, I wonder what God's doing. And so after about 10 minutes after lying there, and it was a very peaceful experience, uh, but there was no sense of overwhelming sense of prompting and nudging of the spirit. I hopped up and I made my way back uh, to the group that I came with. And they said, what happened? What happened? And I said, well, to be honest, it was, it was kind of like a relaxing experience, but there was no sense of an encounter with God in any way. And there was just kind of this prompting nudge of, of, of the hand sort of that. And so I, I kind of just went along with it. Now, some of you here who are listening to this right now will be thinking that, Troy, if you've experienced things in the past where things have seemingly been a little bit manipulated or manufactured, why on earth are you positioning us as a community to want to be open to the Spirit, to be alive in the Spirit, to be free in the Spirit. And that's because my experience of God and His Spirit over the years has involved sometimes the more manipulated and manufactured and the real move of God. Bron shared with you a number of weeks ago, as a young girl, she had celiac, couldn't eat wheat. Every time she did, her experience was that she'd just have incredible digestive pain. She used to go up as a young girl every week when they invited people to come down for prayer and they'd pray for her. One day, she encountered God and felt like she was healed. And she began to eat all the things that she shouldn't, and she was fine. And that's been her experience for the rest of her life. I know it doesn't make sense. I know it might sound a little bit weird, but that's been her experience. A number of years ago, when I went with a group of people from New Community over to India, North India, to encourage Jesus followers over there in a, in a very hostile sometimes and diverse background of setting over there in North India. I remember sitting in a, a pastor's house. Uh, he was uh, running a church, gathered space. And as we were there waiting for lunch, uh, I remember someone coming and knocking at his door. And it was one of the local men sat down. It was all spoken in Hindi. I had no idea what was going on. After a few minutes, um, he, he left. And I said, what was all that about? He said, well, this man from the village has a son. And his son seemingly has something that looks like a little bit of, um, not a little bit of, that he has epilepsy. 
He said, for the first time, this man's been hostile to us, has actually come and asked for us to pray for him that his son might experience some healing. In that moment, as I was dialoguing with uh, the pastor, um, two questions came to mind and I just verbalized them to him. I I said, um, what happens if you pray for him and he's not healed? What will happen? And And he turned to me and he said this, well, firstly, that is a Western question. We don't ask that question over here in India. <laughs> and the second thing that I said, uh, and the second thing that he, he responded back to me with, and he said, and what's more, more than enough people are being healed when we pray for them to not be particularly disturbed about that. We just leave those things over to God. You know, there have been experiences in my life where I've called out and asked God for things in prayer that I haven't experienced a direct response to in other times in which I have in uncanny ways. And so that leads me to the conviction that what I want us to do in this, this posturing of ourselves to be spirited, to be open to the spirit, free in the spirit, to be alive in the spirit, is to both carry this sense of willingness and openness and desire, also with some wisdom. And to do that requires us to sit often in a place of ambiguity. We're not in the business of manufacturing and manipulating, but neither are we in the business of saying, actually, there, there's no moves of God because we've, I have experienced that and seen that and heard about that in my own life. So we carry both. So let me ask you, what would it require of you to be posturing yourself so that you would be open to God's spirit? Because what we are going to discover today as we read this particular passage that we're going to refer to is that sometimes when God's spirit speaks, he takes us outside of our comfort zones and we meet God beyond the boundaries that we're normally familiar with. So what's it going to take for you? Today we're going to be exploring the whole theme titled Uncomfortable. Because sometimes when God works in people's lives, he takes them beyond their comfort zone. If you have a Bible uh, near you, what I want you to do is grab it and turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Because as you're doing that, we are going to hear a story today about two people who hadn't met that couldn't be polar opposites apart as far as their experiences in life, their ethnic backgrounds, their total worldview. You're going to meet a man by the name of Cornelius, a Roman centurion, and a fisherman from Galilee by the name of Simon Peter. And their lives are going to intersect and be radically changed for good, for the better, in ways that they could not have predicted in a million years. And as you're turning there to Acts chapter 10, I just want to remind you at the very beginning, the first chapter that talked where Jesus spoke to his disciples, he said this to them. He said, I want you to be prepared and wait for my spirit to come. Because when my spirit comes and falls upon you, that infuses you in new, fresh ways, you're going to be my witnesses. That's the word martyrs. You're going to be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's what we're going to read about today. When the ripple effect of God's spirit filling human bodies, hearts and minds, inspiriting them in fresh ways to encounter God and to become alive and to be filled up with the goodness and the love and the mercy and the grace and the justice of God. The ripple effect of that is actually spreading throughout. And this is the first time that it's going to break ethnic backgrounds um, and borders and boundaries and go actually, if you like, beyond their experience, beyond Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria now into the hostile, pagan, Gentile, non-Jewish world that they're going to experience today. So if you join with me, 
Here's this profound, amazing story about two people whose lives are about to intersect. It reads like this. Chapter 10, 1 and 2. In Caesarea, there was a man by the name of Cornelius, a centurion with the cohort called the Italian. I love that. Don't you like that? The Italian. What a cool name. The Italian cohort. And he was devout, and all of his household revered God, and he gave alms generously to the people and constantly prayed to God. So this man, Cornelius, we've discovered, is someone who, coming from his worldview, where he would have believed in multiple gods. The Romans believed in multiple gods. In fact, they considered the Jewish people to be the first atheists because they just believed in one God. In fact, the Jewish people believed of the Romans that they didn't believe in gods. They just believed and worshipped things made of human hands, of stone and wood, and they'd overlay them with with gold. And so the Jewish people thought that they were just worshipping objects they'd made with their hands. And the Roman people thought that the Jewish people had got it wrong because they were just worshipping one God. And we discovered this man by the name of Cornelius. He's, he's got a high standing in, in, the, in the cohort uh, that he's part of. And, and he's a centurion and with the Italian cohort. And he's someone who's very much seeking the Jewish God. He's devout. He says he's generous with his money. He gives arms, not these arms, but the monetary ones. He's generous with his money. And he seeks God in prayer. And what we discover here is that it's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon... And Cornelius is in his habit of setting aside time to position himself proximal to God and pray. And during that time when he starts to pray, he has this encounter, this this revelation of God speaking to him. It goes on and describes how God's angel actually just sends a message to him. And he interrupts his prayer space. And And in this what's called a vision And we don't quite know how it works, but it was very real to Cornelius. The angel appears before him and says, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers. All of those prayers you've been praying for a long time and wondering if God actually is hearing you, he has and he is. He says, what I want you to do is this. I want you to go and find a man who lives down in Joppa. And he's living, and his name's Simon Peter. And he's living with someone called Simon the Tanner. Um, someone who tans skins and hides of animals, and, and he's living beside the coast. Uh, that's where his business is. I want you to send some people, go find him, because he's got a message for you. And so Cornelius, I guess, if you like, is interrupted from his prayer space. He stops, and he, and he picks two of his servants, and then one of his best sort of soldiers, and he gives them this task. He says, what I want you to do is I've just had this prayer time and and I think God's angel has spoken to me uh, in in a vision. I want you to go down at 60 kilometers away down to uh, Joppa, modern day uh, Jaffa on the far eastern shores of the Mediterranean. What I want you to do is walk down from Caesarea um, down to to Joppa and I want you to go to a house that's by the sea and, and the man's name is Simon the Tanner who owns the house and there's another guy called Simon Peter who's there with him. I want you to go and find that man. <laughs> and so that's exactly what happens. He actually goes down And he actually starts sending these people to find this man. It goes on and he goes and it says this. 
this is the message that the angels give. And what you must do is this. Send men to Joppa and ask for someone called Simon, uh, surnamed Peter. And he is staying in a house called Simon the Tanner, whose house is beside the sea. Now, I don't know if, if you're one of the soldiers or maybe the servants and your master had given you those details, if that might have made you feel a little bit uncomfortable. In fact, you might have been questioning, uh, if you like, the very sanity of your boss in this particular moment. That's exactly, though, what he does. He sends the group and they start walking what's an overnight journey down to Joppa. Well, the next day, as the three people are arriving and and moving into Joppa, and I, I imagine they're knocking on doors, they're trying to find out where Simon the Tanner lives there they're starting with the the houses that are beside the sea because that's what they've been directed to peter the person that they're looking for decides that it's time for him to actually pray himself it says it's about noon and he goes up onto the the rooftop of a house and you suspect that this is part of his normal habit and practice in that he he starts positioning himself and praying to god whilst everyone else is preparing the food So there's friends down below preparing food. And in the middle of his prayer, it says, and so this is the next day, as they were on their journey and getting near the town, Peter went up onto the roof of the house to pray. So as he's praying, as the food's being prepared, this is what happens. In Peter's prayer space, he also has a vision or he goes into a trance. And I love the way they describe this because in the trance, As he's waiting for food, it says he gets hungry. And in the middle of his hunger, he imagines this picnic blanket that's falling down from the sky. And it's filled with all kinds of food. Uh, Sorry, yes, with all kinds of food, but with all animal food. So this is like the the meat lover's picnic basket. The, the, The folds of the blanket unravel. And there inside, he sees all of these different animals. And some of them are animals that Jewish people are allowed to eat. They're kosher food. And some of the animals that they are not allowed to eat, they've been prohibited, is unkosher. So I imagine there's some pigs in there as well. And as he's thinking about this, this crazy kind of picture, both his stomach's rumbling, probably because he's been fasting and praying, and they're cooking food down below. So I'm imagining there's the smells that are wafting up from below. And somehow all these things are mixed in together. And God speaks through even some of his own desires and, and appetites. And he has this picture. And then he hears this voice. God speaking to him. It says, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And Peter in the midst of his vision is kind of like totally put out of sorts. And his visceral response is, God, I have never eaten anything that's non-kosher. No, I won't do that. But the vision of the picnic blanket and the meat lover's package um, descends twice more. So that's sort of three times. So it's kind of rock in solid, solid rock. God speaking to him, that's kind of the measure that this is actually real. And so it, it says Peter's kind of perplexed by this. And just as Peter's kind of thinking about what does this dream, what does this apparition, what does this vision mean, there's a knock at the door because the three other people have arrived. And they're asking, um, 
if they know anyone called Simon the Tanner, they've probably looked at the house and they're seeing that there's all these different cow hides or cow hides, there's different sheep hides and there's, there's different animal hides that are being tanned and sort of left out to dry. And so they come asking for this person called Simon the Tanner and they discover that this is Simon the Tanner's house and in fact, someone called Simon Peter is actually there. Now, just at this moment, Peter's also, and it says, spoken to by the Spirit. So I'm going to jump too far ahead because I'm getting excited here. Verse 13 and 14, it says, Get up, Peter, said the voice, kill and eat. Certainly not, Master, said Peter. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean or non-kosher like this before. And then just at that moment when there's the knock at the door, this is what the Spirit says to Peter. And it says, the Spirit says, not God says, but the Spirit says, look, said the Spirit, there are three men searching for you right now. It's all right. Get up, go down and go with them. Don't be prejudiced for I have sent them. <laughs> and so that's exactly what Peter does. He says, because they come from such diverse backgrounds, the normal response would have been, you're actually from Roman households and we don't mix. And so Peter goes down. And he opens the door, and lo and behold, there's these people, and they say to him, this is going to sound really bizarre and strange. I know it's kind of a little bit weird, but we're looking for someone called Simon Peter. Is that you? He goes, yeah, it's me. And, and are you staying with someone's house called Simon the Tanner? And like, yeah, that, that's the guy's the place who I'm staying at. He said, well, wh- our master, Cornelius, he lives up in Caesarea, 60 k's away. And he sent us to find you because he was having a prayer time. And God interrupted that. And he spoke about someone like you. He's, and you could imagine Peter at that moment just getting kind of excited and kind of weirded out. Because he's like, you know what? I was just on the, the roof myself having a prayer space. And I, I kind of feel like God spoke to me and said that there were some people coming and that I should actually welcome you into my home. And so that's what I'm going to do. And so that's exactly what Peter does. He welcomes him into his home. They spend the night. And then the next day they set off on what's another overnight journey heading back to Caesarea. Now, I wonder if that was you and God prompted or nudged or spoke to you in maybe those overt tones or maybe in more subtle tones, what would have you done? I kind of picture myself walking back with Peter and you've got these other people and Peter brings some of his friends now too because they want to kind of see what's going on. And they start their journey and like after the first 10 kilometers, like what do you talk about? Like you might talk to them about, you know, like you guys are Romans, like, um, you know, which Caesar did you think was better? Was it, was it Augustus or was it Tiberius? Because, you know, you guys haven't always been too kind to us and uh, we're just wondering, this is kind of a little bit strange for us. I mean, what do you talk about beyond the 10K mark? And then you, you stay with those people sort of lodging in some place the, the overnight and then the very next day it says they arrive in Caesarea uh, where Cornelius lives. And so this is why the story goes on. And so when they get there, they don't have no idea that Cornelius, being so overwhelmed by this, this, this vision, this interruption in his prayer space, that he has got all of his family, his extended family, his next-door neighbors, all of his work colleagues, and they are all gathered in his home. And so when they actually arrive there in Cornelius' home... The first thing that Cornelius does is that he runs down to, towards Peter when he discovers that this is the Simon Peter, and he bows down and starts worshipping him. 
Now, Peter's seeing this. I imagine he's saying to himself, what is it with you Romans? You always want to worship stuff. And he pulls them up and he goes, look, I'm just a human being. I know Bruce McAvaney says that anyone who is running 100 meters or 200 meters in the Olympics are gods and goddesses, but we don't do that kind of thing. Um, we actually worship the one true living God. And so get up. I'm just a mortal. And so it says, and then Peter turns to him and says, could you explain to me what happened? And so Cornelius in verse, uh, sentence 33, this is what he says. Cornelius explains to him the nature of the prayer vision that he's had. And he says this to him. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. So now here we are all here in God's presence to listen to everything which the Lord has told you to say. (laughs) And I imagine if Peter was there, he might have thought, well, I thought you were going to give me something. But then Peter realizes that God's at work in this space. And so the very next line, I love this because it kind of just reflects sometimes the posturing and what might seem to be a strange sort of message that you're about to bring. And it's in in sentence 34. It says that Peter, in my version, says, took a deep breath and began. He took a deep breath and he began. And he began to tell them what for them might be a really strange, weird story about this man called Jesus of Nazareth. And so it goes on and it's something and it looks like this. And so Peter just runs through this narrative about Jesus. He said there was this man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth and God was at work in his life. And he began to do these miraculous things and talk about God coming to earth in profound, real ways. In fact, God's kingdom arriving here on earth and welcoming people into it. He said he prayed for people and they were healed. All the activity of of the devil, if you like, um, was being pushed back because God was doing these miraculous things in healing people. And he said, and um, I hate to say it, but uh, then the Romans, that would be you guys, um, uh, actually crucified him. But on the third day, he came back to life again. And I'm telling you, this is true because we have seen him. Some of us who are here actually have seen him come back to life. We ate with him. We, we saw him for a period of time. And he said, the message that Jesus proclaimed was one of peace. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done has been done to you, God loves you and he welcomes you into his family to experience his peace in your life. And he'll forgive you if you turn to him and repent. He will welcome you home as though you've never left. In in fact, and I hate to say it, he is the rightful Messiah of Israel and, and he's actually the Caesar or the king of this world that one day he will return and he will call all people to account. And, and if you wanted to be with him in this life, you get to be with him in the next. And if you haven't wanted to do, have anything to do with him in this life and you keep resisting and pushing him away, then in the end he'll say, well, have it your way. But I tell you this, he is putting the world back together and he's starting with people like you and I. Well, something transpires as Cornelius is hearing this story and the people are listening to these words. You know, there's something inherently powerful when the name of Jesus is mentioned and the events that took place. It's not just a story that has no power behind it. Because as they're listening to this, it says that something sparks, something happens inside of Cornelius and the people who are listening because God just spontaneously erupts in their lives, in their hearts, in their minds, in their bodies. And it says they began to just speak out words of praise to God. And the phrase that's used here is that they were speaking in tongues. And so it was this language of God 
to God, if you like, this, this spirit language was being directed. And Peter knows what this is because that's exactly the experience that they'd had on the very first day that God's spirit descended and arrived at them on the steps of Jerusalem in Pentecost. And he says in that moment, they, they know that something's going on because there's just this eruption of praise to God. And why wouldn't that be so? Because these people, these Romans had been worshipping all the other gods and goddesses in the world and when someone comes to know Jesus, sometimes the most obvious thing is that their praise and their worship would be directed back to the one true living God. And so that's exactly what happens. God's spirit has fallen upon them and they've just begun spontaneously worshipping the one true living God because life gives birth to life and that's exactly what's going on for them. Well, the, uh, Peter and his friends uh, are shocked by this. Because they weren't anticipating it. And he says, The circumcised believers, that is from Jewish ethnicity, who had accompanied Peter were astonished because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, that is, non-Jewish people. And they heard them speaking with tongues, that is, uh, angelic languages or languages they hadn't learned for themselves and praising. That's the content of their, their worship, praising God. And, and, and Peter is astounded by this and, and he he actually says, well, what is it that would withhold us from baptizing them too? Because the same experience that we had is the experience that they have had. And it seems as though God is welcoming them into his family as well. And so the normal procedure, if you like, the formula would have been that you believe first and then you're baptized and then you receive the spirit. But this isn't a formula. This is a pattern. And if you like, the, the old rule book is being thrown out and a new one's being made, if you like, because it's all jumbled up. In fact, they hear something that has profound effect. They experience God's spirit spontaneously working in them. And then it says that they go and baptize them and all of the people who are there are part of that cohort because they are being welcomed into God's family as well. Wow. Now, you couldn't have made up this story in a million years. <laughs> so what do we make of all of this in our theme, spirited? And the posturing of ourselves to be open to the spirit, to be attuned to the spirit, to be free in the spirit, alive in the spirit. Was well, one of the first things that I, I reflect upon with this particular story, beyond the would have I been willing to go and how th- that might have made me feel uncomfortable and is this God really speaking, is that this story reminds me over and over again is that God is at work beyond the borders and the constructs that I have created for him no matter what they are. And that God is at work in his way, reaching out into places that might seem non-kosher to you, drawing people to himself. There are people like Cornelius who are seeking and searching. And for Peter himself to be posturing himself to hearing from the Spirit so that he actually might respond and then God joins the dots. God is at work. The second thing I discover is that from this is I'm reminded that the Spirit is speaking all the time. One of the uncanny things about this is that God speaks to both of these men during a time of closely seeking him in prayer. I mean, we call it quiet times in in our kind of church settings. But here they are, they're posturing themselves proximally to God so that they might hear from him. I wonder how many times we might miss things that that God is wanting to speak to us about. If we would just slow down and posture ourselves routinely and regularly and saying, God, here I am. Would you speak to me? The Spirit is speaking all the time. 
And lastly, you have this overwhelming sense that that God is inviting you to join with him in the work that he's already doing. In other words, it doesn't need to be and have to be manufactured or manipulated. But when God moves in ways, he makes it very clear. And sometimes not so clear because it can kind of be confusing at times. The picnic blanket filled with the meat lovers package. What was that? But some way in our experience and our walk and our posturing with God, we learn to discover ways in which he would speak. And sometimes the way in which he speaks might to us seem uncomfortable because it moves us outside of our normal realm of experience or even inconvenient. I mean, they walked overnight with people they'd never met before or even weird. But that's okay because God is a little weird. He's mysterious. And if he wasn't, then he wouldn't be probably God outside of our own realm of experience. And so... I think the way in which the Bible talks about this kind of posturing is they use this phrase, I want you to walk in the Spirit. That is meaning adopting a posture of yourself which which opens itself actively to saying, God, I want to hear from you and nudging and hear your nudge and hear your voice into places that might be beyond my borders, but I am open. And of course, we need to balance the willingness at the same time with the wisdom But I think sometimes we only experience and discover God on the other side of those nudgings. And it's for us to not just be open and willing, but be willing to move beyond our comfort zones. I mean, just as I finish up this morning, there's there's a couple of examples I want to give you about ways in which I try to do that. And then I want to pray for you. Because I wonder if you're here this morning and you're sensing God's spirit nudging you and prompting you into places Maybe God's calling you to actually go to spheres and areas that you might find are being non-kosher to you, but, but God's Spirit wants to spirit you there because he has a message of hope and life and peace that he wants you to give away to others. Or maybe acts of kindness that would profoundly impact people. Like in our Engage Sunday coming up in two weeks' time, I'd love for you to experience the nudging and the prompting of God and his Spirit so that you would feel like there's something spirited in me to reach out to other people for their good. To walk in the Spirit. So a few weeks ago, um, we were here when, when there was no lockdown, but we were here meeting in the office space. I walked down to uh, Town Square to get a coffee. There was no coffee here, so I walked down there. And as I'm walking past the railway station, you know that usually people hang around there. And as I walked past there, there was, there was a lady, and uh, she looked particularly despondent. And as I walked past, I just looked at her and, and I kept walking across the, um, the walkway there over to the cafe. And, and at the cafe there, when I was just waiting to line up, I had this, this nudging that that lady, she, she looks so despondent. Maybe I should just buy her a coffee and just go and give her a coffee, random act of kindness. And I wonder if that's God nudging me and prompting me. So that's what I do. I order two coffees. And as I'm walking back there, coffee in one hand going, this is a little bit weird. Um, but I just want to sort of gesture to her. She's having a lousy day to cheer her up. And maybe this is God actually prompting me. I walk across uh, the, the, foot, foot, uh, the crossing there and notice that she's still there, but this time there's a guy with her. And she's all of a sudden looking quite happy and she's, she's talking away and I realize that they're actually selling stuff. And so I'm left now sipping my own coffee, have another coffee in my hand going, oh my goodness, um, I think she's just 
quite fine. She was probably upset because she hadn't sold any stuff. And now I'm left in this awkward situation. I thought this might have been a nudge from God, but it's probably just me seeing her and she's just in an upset situation. So what do I do? I walk past her, walk all the way back to the Marunda Fed here, and I find someone who's working here and I give them the coffee. I say, oh, thank you very much. And I said, you're welcome. So no understanding about the, the, the background static and what's going on and me trying to posture myself to being open to God's spirit. So that's one, if you like, it was a fail, but a learning. But then there was another time just last week when I was having some time off two weeks ago. We, we were walking down by the, the creek, Dandenong Creek, and, and we were catching up with some people we just needed to make contact with, but we didn't know them very well. Well, they invited us into their house. They said, no, no, come on, have some lunch with us. I'm like, well, okay, okay, sure, we'll, we'll just be open, we've got some time. And as we sat down and we began eating, they knew a little bit about our story, and they said to us, now, we've been wondering... How is it that you became a minister? And like, how does that work for you in your life? And in that moment there, when I read those words that Peter took a deep breath, I kind of felt like I was in exactly the same situation where I'm about to say, I'm about to talk to you about something that might seem like space aliens, and his his name is Jesus. And so I found myself taking a deep breath and saying, well, let me talk to you about Jesus. Now, I couldn't have constructed that conversation, but it just arrived at my doorstep as we're kind of open to God's nudging and tuning my ear in ways that postures myself. And sometimes it's a little bit uncomfortable. Sometimes it's a little bit inconvenient. Sometimes it might feel a little bit weird. But seemingly what God does, to spirit his people who posture themselves with a good news message of his love and his mercy and his grace to work in people's lives for their good. So as we close our time this morning, I wonder, what might God be speaking to you about today? Have you boxed God and said, you can't work outside these parameters because I don't want to get uncomfortable or I've figured you out? I wonder as you're listening to this, if you need to repent of that and posture yourself in a different way that says, God, I apologize for boxing you and saying you don't fit in any of these other constructs. I have fixed you in my frame. And he might be inviting you to say, would you open up your heart? Would you allow me to work in your life in ways that might nudge you, that you can practice and test and learn from? But I want you to hear the Spirit's voice in a different way. Because I'm at work beyond the boundaries, in non-kosher places, calling people back to myself. Because I want them to be part of my family as well. Maybe you're here and you have regularly postured yourself to listen to that. What I want to pray for you about right now is that you would, if you like, have that plus more, a fresh filling of God's spirit. That as this engage comes up, that you might be praying and you might be listening and discerning, where's the nudge, where's the prompt, where's the voice of God, that I might move into that. Would you join with me? Because for us as a community... I don't want this series to come and go. I would like us to be open to the Spirit, free in the Spirit, and I'm more alive in the Spirit. That's what I want to pray for you right now. So, Heavenly God, in this place right now, we thank you. We thank you for this story of Cornelius and Peter and their dramatic sort of intersection of experiences. And we pray that for ourselves. Father... For those who who have boxed you in, we just want to turn to you right now and we want to say we are sorry for that. Would you open up our hearts and minds? 
that we might be comfortably uncomfortable in the way in which you want to nudge us and move us so that we might encounter you in different ways that would see other people hear about who you are. Father, whether it be fresh experiences of you or infilling of the Holy Spirit, we ask this, that you might spirit us with new languages, that you might spirit us with new insights, that you might spirit us with new ears so that we might hear. God, I ask and pray that we might meet you on the other side beyond the borders as we remember the great news of your son and the message of peace that he brings. We ask this, I ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder.